we are now gonna get into our series, Victory, Failure is Not Your Future. So get your notebooks and pens ready and prepare your hearts to your message from God this morning. Good morning. Welcome to Restoration Church this morning. And that welcome goes to everybody here in Dover, everyone in Milton, everyone in Plymouth, and everyone that's joining us online. And the beauty of all of that is we may be separated geographically, but we're one church coming together to honor and celebrate Jesus. And it's just an amazing thing. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, and I'm sure there are some here that don't, my name is Mike Eunice. Uh, Restoration has been my home church for the last 17 years. And I'm also privileged to serve as a member of the Board of Deacons here at the church. We are entering week two of our series, Victory. If you did not see or hear week one, then I suggest you go back online and you listen to that. Because last week, in listening and learning about the story of David overcoming the giant Goliath, we learned that we too, when giants come into our life, can overcome them through the power of the Lord. Next week... Pastor Nate will be back, and he'll be up here, and he's going to be encouraging us, teaching us in a message that applies to every one of us, victory over sin. Today, my task is to talk to you about victory over grief. Now, before I do that, and, and you, if you can ask my wife, I'm, I'm very linear in my thinking. I don't deviate much, and I have all my notes right here, and I'm going to deviate for a second. I've been in a lot of churches over the last 47 years that I've been following the Lord, and I've been under a number of worship teams. And I'm not saying this for a round of applause. I'm not saying this so that we can be prideful, but the purpose of a worship team is to worship and to lead us into worship so that we can enter in and be ready to not only worship our God, but to hear from our God, to learn from him, to just open ourselves up to everything he has for us. And we are amazingly blessed, and I hope you understand it, how blessed we are that here in Dover, in Plymouth, in Milton, we've got three worship teams that in reality are all part of one big worship team. And what they are able to do for us and how they're able to lead us was once again demonstrated this morning. They have just done what God has called them to do. We're truly blessed by them. There's a uh, world-famous philosopher and he has spoken on grief. Uh, his name is Charles Brown. You might know him better as Charlie Brown. <laughs> and those two words that are coming out of Charlie Brown's mouth with that forlorn expression on his face are familiar to probably everybody in the room and everybody everywhere else. Good grief. Well, I wanna tell you what, good grief is an oxymoron. Because when you're going through it, there is nothing good about grief. So Charlie has his opinion. He might be a little bit misguided in that. And, and I'm not going to play word games with you here, but I want you to understand that while grieving is a process and grief can be hurtful, there's a purpose it serves in our lives. Actually, there's several purposes that it serves in our lives. And grief is the accumulation of our emotions, our thoughts, the pain that we're experiencing, it all comes together at once. And that's what falls upon us. And that's what we're gonna be speaking about and I'm speaking about this morning in terms of how to have victory over that. 
Something else about grief. It's a common denominator for all of us. Whether you have walked with Christ from the time you were one day old, or you have never walked with him, grief will come into your life. Every human being that takes a breath, in some way, shape, or form, or, and speaking for myself, and I'm sure some of you, more than one fashion. We have experienced grief more than one time in our lives. And I'm not here as a harbinger of doom, but if you haven't, God bless you, you're going to. And it's a matter of not only being aware of that, but being able to be prepared in our hearts and our spirits as to how to deal with that. I have a definition for you. It's one of many. But grief is an involuntary emotion. Involuntary. It's not something that we can turn on and off. Oh, I really don't like feeling this way. I'm just going to turn it off. No, we don't have the capacity to do that. It's an involuntary emotion experienced when you lose something or someone that is valuable to you. It is strong, sometimes overwhelming, natural, physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual reaction to the loss. It is physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. You know what that says? It encompasses all of who we are. Every aspect of who we are as beings, as creations of God, experiences grief when it hits us. What are the things that bring grief into our lives? Now, I'm going to go through a list, and frankly, I'm checking off every box because everything that I'm going to, to mention that causes grief and can bring grief into our life, I've experienced. That doesn't make me special. It just makes me who I am. And you can check those boxes, and I'm sure you have others that I'm not going to mention that have brought grief into your life. But grief can come from the loss of a loved one. That's the one that we're probably most familiar with. It can come from the loss of a job. I checked that box. The loss of a dream. Another check mark. The loss of a cherished pet. It's 34 years since my husky Thor had to be put down. He was with me from the time he was six weeks till he was 15. I still miss him. Grief can also come through a divorce. I've experienced that. Through a loss of health and physical ability. I got that one too. And those are only a few. It's not so much what the cause is. It's more what is the effect on us. And how do we let it control our lives? And I emphasize how do we let it? Because there are some choices to be made when we're dealing with grief. And we're going through that grieving process. Another thing about grief that we all need to know. It is not one and done. Something doesn't hit us today. I'm grieving today. And tomorrow I'm all better. It can have lasting effects that not only last for extended periods of time. If we don't take and do the things that we need to do, it can devastate us. And when we're people of faith, and some of you in this room may not be, but even when you're people of faith, it can shake you to your core. And from my own experience, again, I know that it not only can, it does. It can bring anguish, anger, denial, a place of trying to cut a deal and bargaining, and I'll talk about these in a moment, and depression, because it's a journey that we're going through. Hopefully, like any journey, the end of the, of the trip, the final destination, is one where we not only have come to accept that grief in our lives, but we've been able to say to God, what is it that I need to do? What is it that I need from you? What is it that you've placed within me that will help me overcome and be victorious over that grief that I'm dealing with? 
You know, we have a choice. It may not seem like it when we're going through it, but we can either walk through the grief and attain that victory, or we can allow that grief to overcome us and literally destroy us. My first experience with grief, I was about 13 or 14 years old. Um, My mother, and for those of you that know me, know my Jewish background, well, I had a Jewish mother, a Jewish grandmother, and that means there are certain obligations you must fulfill, like, no matter what you want to do, every Saturday you're going to take two subway trains, go to Brooklyn, and you're going to go to grandma's. And that's what we did every Saturday, my sister, myself, my mom. Take those two subways, go over, and there were, I don't know about you, but there's parts of my family that I really don't like to talk about. Because I didn't really have this great affinity for them. It was just, it was a crazy family, like many of ours, our. But my grandfather, Max Tronofsky, uh, was a Russian immigrant. He was such a loving man. He was so kind. He had a gentle spirit about him. And, and all I remember is that he was like, everyone else in the family was about five foot two, and he was like six foot four. I don't know how it all factored in, but he was there. He also had a, a muscular disease. So he walked around like this with his arms at his side. He could move his hands, but he literally couldn't move his arms up. So in my collective memory, I don't remember him hugging me once. But I remember what he did for all of us, his grandchildren. He would always greet us with this huge smile. He would always greet us with a kiss on our forehead. And, And he and my grandmother weren't people of means, believe me. They lived in a really, really small apartment. They didn't have much. But he'd always slip each one of us a quarter before we left. Don't tell grandma, don't tell her. And if it was something special, he'd slip us a dollar and then we knew he was really headed for trouble if she found out. (laughs) He entered an extended illness and he passed away. That was the first time in my life that I experienced the loss of somebody that I, I truly loved and cared for and I knew loved me. At the age of 13 or 14, that's where I don't have the certainty is exactly when this took place. I know that I was unable to deal with any of the feelings I had. I couldn't verbalize them, I couldn't identify them. All I knew, and actually that's not even true, I didn't know, it was just happening to me. I felt awful. And what compounded that is after his funeral, we started the ritual back again. We were going back to Brooklyn every Saturday and he wasn't there. And the emptiness I felt in my life stayed with me for weeks and months and and probably a few years because, again, I had nobody to talk to, nobody that could help walk me through that process of grieving. So I lived with the grief, but I didn't have any idea of how to grieve. That was my first experience. For any of you that have gone through that grieving process, you know it's not an easy one to navigate. And some of you are probably like me. I can handle this on my own. I'm just gonna tough it out, I'm gonna walk through it, and I'll get to the other side. That is the worst advice you could ever give somebody, including yourself. We can't walk through it alone. No matter how tough you think you are, or how determined you think you are, it ain't gonna happen. I guarantee you that. So as we're trying to overcome that grief, we've gotta be really careful. Because the slippery slope that creates is created is that grief will lead us to despair. And despair is a place of emptiness, loneliness, and frankly, hopelessness. Even, even for the person that calls Jesus Lord and Savior. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Princess Bride. 
And I know that there's a lot of people in here who've seen it. If you haven't, I apologize, but hopefully you're going to understand what I'm trying to say here. In The Princess Bride, one of the key characters is Inigo Montoya. And Inigo Montoya, for 20 years, has been hunting down the six-fingered man. And he's hunting him down because he killed his father. Inigo Montoya, filled with grief, which led to nothing more than seeking revenge. That was the only two things that drove this man. His grief at loss and wanting to strike out and even the score. Well, that six-finger man, who was Count Rugen, he was evil. He had a pit of despair, and he would take his enemies to the pit of despair, and he would hook them up to his machine. And that machine inflicted pain and grief. And as it did that in the movie, the more pain and grief that was put into somebody's life the more of their life was taken away in terms of how many years they would live. It was a direct proportion. Higher the pain and grief, the higher number of years of loss. Now that was a movie, but I will tell you that that pit of despair is a real place. It's a place that we can find ourselves when we allow ourselves to have the grief take control of who we are and move us in that direction. When we're consumed by anything, it's not healthy. When we're consumed by grief, it's even more than not healthy. It's not what God is calling us to. It's not who God wants us to be. And I know you can be sitting there, and if you're grieving about someone or something right now, you're, you're, you might be thinking, hey, that's easy to say. No, it's not. Because I understand, as all of you have gone through it, what it means to grieve to lose, and to feel helpless. But this is a message of hope and victory. And by the time I'm done, I hope that you understand that that hope and victory is yours just as it is mine. Grief strikes, and then what? Do we go into denial? No, 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 no. I'm going to wake up. I was just dreaming. It was a nightmare. This really didn't happen. Go away. How could this possibly happen? No, this is wrong. I follow Christ. This can't happen in my life. We think those thoughts. That's the denial. But you know what? Denying it doesn't change the reality. Grief strikes, and then we get angry. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me, my family, to the ones I love, to my pet, my job, whatever it is that's causing the grief? Why is this happening? Why have I been singled out? What did I do or not do that's poured this into my life? So we get angry. In two days, on the 20th of this month, three years ago, my mom, who was living in an assisted living facility in Delaware, had a fall. She was 88. She was in really good health. She had a fall. She had a minor fracture to her hip. She had to have surgery. I talked to her the morning. She was in the hospital. She was scheduled for surgery later that morning. I talked to her. And I talked to her like everything was cool. Because as far as I was concerned, it was. She was going to have minor surgery. I said, Mom, everything's going to be great. I'll talk to you when you come out of recovery. Doctor called me, told me they were going to be going into surgery. It was going to be a short surgery. Everything was going to be fine. Great. I get another call from the doctor a couple hours later. Mr. Eunice, there have been some complications. 
I can't go into it right now, but I want to let you know we've got some delays. I'll be back to you as soon as I can. The next time I heard from him, which was several hours later, my mother was gone. I should have been sad. I should have been empty. I was angry. How dare you? How dare you take my mother from me? How dare you take her when I didn't have a chance? And you, I mean, you don't, my mom and I had a love-hate relationship. My love relationship was I loved her with all my heart. My hate relationship was she drove me crazy. (laughs) Jewish mothers will do that to you, trust me. (laughs) She drove me nuts, but I loved her and God bless her. I know she's with the Lord, but I was angry. Fast forward. Last October, the first, in the middle of COVID, my dad, 94, has to have a minor outpatient procedure. He goes to the hospital. I'm not thinking anything. I know what happened to my mom. I'm not thinking anything here other than he's having a minor procedure. Great. My sister comes down to Delaware from New York. I'm here. I'm heading down there. The minor procedure was not successful. They had to go to major, full anesthetic. They put him under. They did the surgery. Everything was fine. He came out. Doctor said, he's 94, just as a precaution, we want to keep him overnight. Okay. My sister and I arrived at the hospital thinking we were going to bring him home, but we weren't able to. And only one of us could go up to see him because they were limiting one person today per day. So I told my sister, you go on up. She spent four hours with my dad. I sat for four hours in a waiting room, waiting for her to come down. She came down. We left. I dropped her off where she was going to stay. I was heading back to my son's. And while we were driving, we got a call from the doctor. Just want to reassure you, everything's great. You already know where this is going. My sister gets a call at 3 a.m. Get to the hospital immediately. We've had to put your father on life support. I'm an hour away. By the time I got there, he was gone. If I was angry the first time with my mom, I was twice as angry. I was angry with medicine for failing. I, was in it. I felt I had been lied to. But here's what got me the most, and this is where the grief took over. My dad was a Muslim from Calcutta, India. He never accepted Jesus into his life. And look, this is not about me, but it's about me. I didn't have that one last chance to say to him, Dad, the Lord loves you. The Lord wants you. All you have to do is say yes. And I didn't get that chance. So grieving, yeah. Guilt, yeah. Anger, yeah. It was all there. And it was consuming me, literally. I'm not a violent person, but if I could have taken somebody out, I probably would have. The doctor wasn't there. I've still not to this day met that doctor. And I'm still angry. Which standing up here and giving this message, I probably shouldn't tell you, but I am. The grieving has, has stopped, and I'm trusting God because I don't know what my dad's future is. I don't know what happened in those last moments, and I'm just trusting God because that's what I have to hold on to is his word and my faith in him. When grief strikes, are we depressed? Yeah, that goes along with everything I just said. And we kind of laugh about the princess bride, but I told you that pit of despair is real. I was married for 34 years before my divorce. And for six years before that, my wife was my middle school sweetheart. We had a child out of wedlock at 18. That baby was placed for adoption. And then we were married. I was 20, she was 19. And for 34 years, we were together. 
And I, I could give you a whole other message on what happened, but it happened and we both had responsibility. But that marriage ended and I went into a deep plunge of grief. I felt lost, I felt empty, I felt that I had failed. I had failed myself, I had failed my family, I had failed God because I had made a commitment and that commitment wasn't honored. And so I spun out of control and that pit of despair, I was living there. Now because of my DNA and how I'm made up on the outside, I'm fighting through this and say, hey, you know, you wanna pray for me, thank you, you wanna talk to me, that's great. I appreciated the fact that people cared enough to step into my life because they knew I was hurting on the inside, but I wasn't gonna to admit to the fact that I was hurting on the inside. What I was gonna do was I'm gonna get through this, but I didn't do that very well. God's gracious though. Grief strikes and do we find ourselves at the bargaining stage? The bargaining stage is usually the one that we play, let's make a deal with God. I lost my job. God, if you find me another job, I really love that job. Please get it back for me. If you do, I will. And you can fill in the blanks after I will. Or someone we love and hold close to us is failing in their health. God, please, I know you have the power, just touch them. I know you can heal them. And it doesn't happen. But God, if you do, I will do this. Again, you fill in the blank. I'll be a better Christian. I'll give more. I'll pray more. I'll volunteer twice as much. I'll do something. It doesn't work that way. We don't cut deals with God. We may not understand his sovereignty at times. We may not understand why we go through the grief that we go through. But we have to trust him and his word that he's there with us no matter what. And when grief strikes, as it will, do we come to a place in our destination where we understand what's happened and we accept the grief? Accepting something is not the same as liking it. Accepting something is not the same as it went away. It's recognizing in our own lives that this is our reality right now. We're hurting. We're hurting, but we're not alone. We're hurting and we're not hopeless. We're hurting and we have to acknowledge we're gonna hurt. But where we hurt, we have to acknowledge that we can heal and recognize that grieving is a process we have to go through. And if we derail that process, we're not gonna to get to that place of acceptance and hope and healing in our lives. I wanna tell you a story about a man, and some of you are gonna be familiar with this song that I'm gonna reference, and others of you, no offense, because of your age, you probably won't be. But I'll help you out there, because that's why I'm up here. It's okay to grieve. The question is, what do you do with it? And what does it do to you? In 1870, a man by the name of Horatio Spafford, he was a Christian lawyer in Chicago. He lost his only son to a bout of scarlet fever. The next year was the great Chicago fire of 1871. Every real estate holding, most of his wealth was in real estate holdings surrounding Lake Michigan where the core of the fire was. He lost it all. So his personal fortune was pretty much taken away from him. So in 1873, dealing with all of that loss in his life, his family's life, he decided that his family, which consisted of his wife and four daughters, should go on a trip. So they booked passage on a ship to go to Europe. He went to New York with them because that's where the ship was gonna depart from. And something came up in Chicago, business related. He had to go back to Chicago. So he encouraged his wife, 
take the four girls. I will take the next boat as quickly as I can. I'll meet you there. And off they went. That was on November the 15th in 1873. On November the 22nd, 1873, the ship that they were on, the Villa de Havre, was struck by another ship. In 12 minutes, it was gone. Sunk in the North Atlantic. Of the survivors, Spafford's wife was one of 87. Of the 236 passengers and crew that lost their lives, his four daughters were among those lost. He was given news of the sinking, but he had no information as to the situation regarding his family. 10 days later, he received a telegram. It was from his wife. These six words were on the telegram. Saved alone, what shall I do? His four daughters were gone. He was devastated. He immediately booked passage on the next available ship to join his wife, but he asked the captain to do him a favor. And the favor was that when they reached the part of the North Atlantic where the accident had taken place, he wanted to be made aware of that. It was the middle of the night. The captain woke him up. He went up to the deck, looking over the rail into the cold, icy water that had taken the lives of his four daughters. In his grief, in his sorrow, he penned the words to one of the most touching and famous hymns that has been part of the church for a long, long time. My wife convinced me not to sing this to you, so I won't. But I want you to hear these words. It's from the first and second verses and part of the chorus. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. That's what Jesus wants for us to be able to not just say, but to experience when grief consumes us. It is well with my soul. The only way Spafford was able to go on with his life, with his wife, and with the children he would have in the future, the only way he would overcome devastating and unfathomable grief, I can't relate to what he went through, but he had to have absolute faith, absolute faith in Jesus Christ and his word, and that's what he did. And this should be no news to any of us. That's the same answer for us. Absolute faith and trust in Jesus is what sees us through and has us overcome. C.S. Lewis, I think many of us are familiar with him as, a, as an author. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which includes The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. He also wrote the Screwtape Letters and, and probably a couple dozen other books. A quote from him, and it says this, to love it all is vulnerable. Vulnerable meaning we're at risk. We might get hurt. To love it all is vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. 
But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. It's powerful. Those are powerful words. And what they tell us, if you want to experience a griefless life, do not make yourself vulnerable to anyone or anything. Do not love. You'll never have grief. He didn't say it, but I will. You're pretty much dead on the inside if that's where you are. And you know what? That's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to love unconditionally as he loves us. He calls us to take the risk, knowing, knowing that there's going to be a time in our life when we're going to grieve, but also knowing that he has positioned himself right there with us to see us through it, to overcome it, to go through that desert of Egypt that we sang about and come out on the other side. I compare grief to to a desert. You're standing here, you're grieving, you look out, all you see is endless sand. There is nothing else. You don't see the other side. And yet you know you need to get from here to the other side, but you can't see it. How do I get to someplace where I really don't know what it is? And that sand, that's all those emotions that I spoke of earlier. The anger, the hurt, the sadness. And all that sand wants to do is just surround us. And the further we walk, it just wants to pull us down deeper and deeper until we reach that point of despair. Victory is on the other side. The only way it's there is if we take a hand that's extended to us by Jesus Christ and we grab hold of it. And we say to him, God, I can't make this on my own. But with you holding my hand, with your arms around me, there's no way I'm not going to get to the other side, no matter how dark or how far away it may look. That path that leads to victory includes some steps we have to take. The first one of those, we have to be free enough to mourn. We have to allow ourselves the freedom to say, I've lost someone or something, and to mourn it. It's healthy to do that. Because as we mourn, we're acknowledging our grief, not denying it. And I said, I've been there. I've, I've attempted to deny my grief, and it doesn't work. We let the tears flow. Doesn't matter whether you're male or female, we cry. Because God comforts us with our tears. And then we understand that what God has also done is he's going to give us a time to rejoice. John verse 16, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 22. So you have sorrow now. That's when we're in grief. But I will see you again. And then you will rejoice. And no one can rob you of that joy. When we're in the midst of it, Our joy and our hope can't be taken away from us. God promises us that. That's what that verse says. To get to that other side, we need to find comfort and peace in our Lord. In Matthew 11, 28, Jesus said this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Anyone who has gone through the grief process and grieving knows that those burdens are heavy. And what he's promising us is 
He's going to give us the rest that we need to be refreshed, to be restored, to be made whole, to overcome that grief that's in our life. The Bible, though, goes on to say in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, it's a funny thing about how we can be sometimes. Uh, maybe some of you are not familiar with a yo-yo, but a yo-yo used to be a hot toy when I was a kid. You know, it's on a string, and it, I mean, it's really a mindless thing. You throw it down, it comes back up. You throw it down, it comes back up. And that's what you do endlessly. Anxiety, hurt, pain, same deal. It's a yo-yo if we let it be. Throw it down, oh no, I'm not letting go. Back it comes, throw it down, back it comes. We don't go anywhere like that. We just continue in this crazy, endless, back and forth. And what does the scripture say to us? Take everything that we're anxious and hurting and all the pain and place it in front of the cross at Jesus, at his feet. He's telling us to do that. He's not asking. He's saying, here, you can do this. All we have to do is make that choice. So that comfort that we're longing for is there. And not only does overcoming grief do something for our own lives and our own selves and who we are, it also prepares us to be there for someone else. I said earlier, there's no way you go through this on your own. Bad move. The good move is, number one, if we're going through it, is to seek out those that we know we can share our hearts with. And maybe they do nothing. Maybe they don't say a word. Maybe they just hug us. Maybe they're just there. Maybe they just let us vent and we rant. Whatever it is, they're there for us. That's the love that Christ is demonstrating to us through those people. But there's something else that happens. We become prepared to help somebody else. I have another short story for you. It was a store owner. He put a sign up in the window of his store and it said, puppies for sale. And a little boy came in and asked that big question, how much does a puppy cost? And the store owner looked at him and said, $50. Well, the little boy started doing this. He starts rummaging around in his pockets, looking. He finds a little change here, a quarter there. He counts it all up. And he said to the store owner, I have $2.37. Can I just look at them? And the store owner got a big smile on his face. And he looked at the little boy. And then he let out a whistle. And out came Lady with five little balls of fur following her behind and one of the puffs was lagging behind, limping severely. And immediately, the little boy looked at that one, pointed and said, I want that one. And the store owner got this look of shock over his face and said, you don't want to buy that dog. I'll just give him to you. And the little boy got upset. He looked right in the store owner's eye, pointed his finger at him, said, no, you won't give him to me. I want to buy him. He's no less valuable than any of the others. That's the one I want. Well, the store owner then replied to that boy's indignation and firmness. He said, you don't want this dog. His hip socket is not there. He's never going to run. He's never going to play with you. He's never going to jump like all of the other puppies. You don't want him. To the owner's surprise, the little boy rolled up his pants, showing him a twisted and deformed leg with a brace. And then in a very different tone of voice, the little boy said, I don't run so well myself. 
And that little puppy's gonna need someone who understands. We find our own victory in grief. We're there to understand and have compassion. And I challenge everybody this morning, wherever you are, when we've gone through it, we've been prepared. When we've been healed, it's not just for ourselves. It's to be there for others. And we know that there are gonna be others in our circle around us, our network, that are gonna be exactly where we have been or where we are right now. And that story tells another story. Why Jesus left heaven. Why did he come to be born in a stable? Why did he come to be ridiculed? Why did he come to be crucified? He did all of those things to lay out a path for us for victory in every aspect of our lives, for freedom in every aspect of our lives. And when we talk about overcoming grief, it's because God chose to send his son to earth to be crucified for us so that we could come back and look to him for whatever we need in our lives and to have hope and to know that the grief we have is a temporary situation and it can be released and we can be free from it. God never intended for us to have pain of grief. I'm not saying he didn't intend for us to grieve. Prior to the Garden of Eden, grief wasn't, a, wasn't an issue, but it started there. And it's been with us ever since, and it will be. But he's provided a way to see us through it and to be victorious over it. As the worship team comes back up, just a couple more things about what else we need to do to get to the other side, to have victory. We need to live our lives. We need to live. If you're in that pit that I've talked about several times this morning, you're not living, you're existing. I'm not living, I'm existing, if that's where I find myself. That's not what God wants for us. That's not what he has for us. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. We are never alone. Even in loneliness, even in grief, we're not alone. God's right there with us. All we have to do, I know it sounds simple, is look to him and admit where we are and ask him by his Holy Spirit to just fill us with the hope and restore that joy and bring our lives to a place where we're living our life. And finally, to get there, <coughs> excuse me, we need to remember the promises of our hope in Jesus. Psalm 34, it's the 18th verse. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That speaks directly to those that are in the midst of grief. And Psalm 46, one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. For those of us that wanna be a little bit more, more modern, a, a very present, that means he's here now. He's here with us. And, and whether it's pride or fear or whatever it is that's holding us back, we just need to cast that aside and say, God, here I am. I want to be able to grieve the loss. I'm not saying to not do that. I'm not saying that we won't have the sadness from that loss. But what I am saying is it doesn't consume us. It doesn't hold us down. That the victory that we're talking about in this series is victory over grief through Jesus and because of him. If you don't remember anything I said this morning, please remember this. I know, you know, we all know that grief is painful. 
but it's a necessary part of our healing. We have to come through it. Grieving is simply a process that God allows and brings us through so that we can come to wholeness and complete healing in our lives. But in that process, there's grieving well, and there's not grieving well. There's grieving well, and there's being a victim of grief. And that's not what we're called for or to. So when we place our hope on the only one, the only one who truly understands the depth of our hurt and the depth of our emptiness, when we call on his name, then that hope and that victory, I'll be so bold as to say this, is a guarantee. Because God's not a liar. He promises it. That means it's so. Jesus not only has our grief covered, thankfully he has all of us covered. Every one of us. He's true to his word, as I just said, and he's going to walk through that desert with us. We're not out there no matter how it seems like. We're all by ourselves. He's right there with us, grabbing our hand, leading the way. And I know that in my life, no matter what the loss has been, and as I, I indicated earlier this morning, I have had several. The pain to struggle through that, to recover, and the amount of time it takes to recover is almost irrelevant to the fact that Jesus was there the entire time offering his hope to me and his hope to you in healing, in comfort, in victory. Final verse I have before I pray. John 14, 1. Jesus says to each one of us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. We place our trust in our Lord. The victory is ours. I want to pray for everyone. If you're in a place of grief, then I would ask you to please seek out the Lord and seek out someone that you can just let your heart be free enough to share where you are and allow God to do what he does, which is touch our lives, heal us, and make us whole. Lord, I thank you, God, for this morning, for the opportunity to speak about a subject, a topic, and part of our lives that we all either have or will experience. God, it, it's standing up here, is, it's, it, it, it's, it's not simple to talk about something that I know brings so much hurt and pain. But Lord, I also know that it's a privilege to know and have experienced the truth of your words, that your healing is ours, that your hand, your shoulder, your arms, all of you is made available to us in the depths of whatever we're going through. And God, that that promise of victory is not a hollow one. Far from it. It's a promise that you make, and it's a way that you provide for us to move from where we are and if we're trapped in despair, if we're trapped in emptiness, if we're trapped by that loss, Lord, you spring all those traps open and you call us out of them. Oh, I thank you for that. And if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that has not put that faith and trust in you, I pray that your spirit is speaking to their heart right now and they'll simply invite you into their lives so that they too can experience who you are and what you offer each one of us. I thank you. I praise you. And I ask, Lord, that for everyone that needs that touch, that you would do just that this morning and make them whole. In Jesus' name, amen.